0: Everybody and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly podcast. I am Capital Weekly editor Rich Eisen. Uh, once again, not joined by my usual partner in crime, Tim Foster, who is uh, still on vacation uh, somewhere, I think, in Europe with his band. Uh, he will be back next week and we'll get back to our regular order. But in the meantime, I am once again joined by uh, our super sub, Dan Moraine, formerly of many of the publications that you read all the time. Of course, ours on occasion as well. Dan, how are you doing today? All good. As always, a pleasure to have you. We're also joined uh, by another one of our favorite guests from on the other side of the country, Carl Cannon from uh, Real Clear Politics. Uh, Carl, how are you doing uh, this fine day?
1: It's it's a rainy day um, in, in the East Coast, but you guys in California, you've had more rain in the Last few months than you had in the previous five years, so I'm not going to complain to you.
0: Well, and you know, typical California, we went from yes, months of cold, cold, cold rain and et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, outside right now, it's about 94 degrees, and <laughs> you know, now we're worried about uh, all the snow that massive snow melt, snowpack <laughs> melting uh, super fast and causing floods. So, you know. California is always the land of extremes in just about any way you could look at that equation from topography to politics, right?
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: Well, and that's a, my my little uh, segue into what I want to talk about today, which, of course, is some California political aspirations, I guess we could say. President Joe Biden uh, officially announced his reelection campaign earlier this week. And I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about how this might impact some other very high-profile California politicians. And, of course, thank you, Carl, because you're our our eyes and ears on the ground in D.C. And, Dan, I think uh, you probably know as much about a couple of these people as anybody. So uh, let's hop right into it, because I think, for me, the three most obvious people to look at here, though there are more, I think the three most obvious ones would be our governor, Gavin Newsom, the vice president, Kamala Harris of course, is a Californian, and uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who, of course, is also a Californian. So, uh, Carl, you're our guest today. Is there is there one of those that you think Biden's announcement to run for another term affects more than the others?
1: I think it affects them all quite directly. But the one I'll start off with is Kamala Harris. She's uh, She's gotten bad press from the minute she got the job. I don't know what people expect. You know, Joe Biden's own wife didn't understand why he picked her. Dr. Jill didn't want him to pick Kamala Harris. All she'd done in the campaign that anybody remembers is called Joe Biden a racist. She got one of the great rollouts in the history of presidential politics, a fawning coverage, a huge amount of money. She was on the cover of these magazines and Asian, African-American, well-spoken, You know, comes from California. She had it all. Well, she didn't even make it to the starting gate, let alone the finish line in the primaries. Uh, so Biden picks her anyway. And people started remembering as she performed as vice president, why she wasn't a strong candidate. She, One friend of mine just said, you know, she's just her problem is she's just not good at politics, and which is funny because that's her p- chosen profession. But she's now in a position where the Biden campaign has got to bolster her. They've got to they've got to help her in, in a way that in a way that the president hasn't really. And the, the West Wing hasn't helped her. They've ignored her. There's been some sniping. She hasn't helped herself much, but the theory of the Democrats' case is that they're going to run against Donald Trump, and that uh, we had a matchup once before, uh, in in an economy that was like this one, kind of tough. It was 1956. Eisenhower wiped the floor with Adlai Stevenson just he had four years earlier. Joe Biden is old enough to remember that campaign, as am I, and so. Well, I guess I'm not really old enough to remember that campaign. But anyway, I knew about Well, my mom was walking precincts for Phil Burton with me in the stroller at, during that campaign. So I have some residual knowledge. But anyway, what I'm saying is that the only thing now that they worry about that I know of, they're not terribly worried about the economy. They, they've got a story to tell. Inflation is bad. We just did a poll at Real Clear Politics. The people don't like, voters don't like Joe Biden's. The president's handling of the economy specifically inflation, but they've created all these jobs and they think they can win a rematch with Donald Trump there. They're not only not afraid of it, they're looking forward to it. And the only thing that they have in the back of their minds is the age issue. And it's, it's a big one. People are starting to raise it. And he's going to be by far the oldest president, you know, we've had, he looks like he's slowing down. He sounds like he's slowing down, but they've got this vigorous vice president and they're going to put her out front and center the subliminal message, not that subliminal, the message is going to be, look, if something happens to him, we've got this strong vice president who's been here four years, who can carry on what we did. And that campaign slogan there is finish the job. That's kind of a double entendre. So she could finish the job. So I think Biden's decision to run puts her front and center in a way she hasn't been before.
2: Don't you think, uh, Carl, That uh, that whoever the Republican nominee is, is going to run against Kamala Harris?
1: Yeah, look, she's not popular. She's Joe Biden isn't popular by historic standards of a president seeking reelection. She's less popular than he is. But I think, I guess my own view is that the American people are going to see her. They're going to take a second look. They're going to do a rollout, uh, you know, the new Coke, same as the old Coke. Maybe not, you know, maybe Coke Zero or something. I think she's going to get a second look, Dan, because, and the voters are going to think about her in a way they haven't before. Could this woman be president? So I, I'm not predicting she'll do well. I'm not predicting she'll do badly. But I, my guess is, and the voters we're talking about, of course, on this show and on my own podcast, we're talking about swing voters. We're talking about independents. Uh, you know, the D's and the R's do what they do. And I, my, my guess is that she's going to get a, a. I think she's going to get a second look. I think people are going to look at it in a different way and make up their minds. And so it's all in front of her. I think she performs well. She could help the ticket.
0: Dan, you know her pretty well in that regard. I'm curious because we've seen so many Republican state legislatures and even you know certainly on the national level really lurch hard to the right and we saw the impact it had on the midterms. I'm curious following what Carl said, if that really gives her a little bit of a, a of a longer you know bit of a leash I guess from you know voters who say look Yeah, maybe we weren't that thrilled about her before, but man, you know, it's time for a woman and, and, you know, she, she's had the experience now of four years in the White House, you know, what do you think?
2: Well, I would guess that Carl's right, that she is going to get that second look. It truthfully is um, a little surprising to me how, you know, what the narrative has become of her in Washington, but not. Shocking. You know, I watched her as a, as a candidate for California Attorney General and for the U.S. Senate, uh, helped moderate her debate for Attorney General and watched her debate for U.S. Senate. And, and I've seen her in, in campaign mode. Uh, when I was at the B, she came to the editorial board. I mean, this is not a bad politician. She obviously did not do well in the in 2019, and she dropped out wisely uh, before she got her clock cleaned in um, Iowa, and then and then it would have been worse. She would have lost in California, so it was wise for her to pull out when she did. She is not as bad as as what has been portrayed. In fact, she can be a very she can be a very engaging candidate. You know, I've seen it. So, uh, but you know, on the national stage, it's it's very different. I mean, I think. You know, uh, Ron DeSantis is discovering uh, that once you once you get the national spotlight on you, it's quite different from what you're used to in in whatever state you're coming from. So, yeah, she's she's going to have to have a second look. She's going to be in no small regard the target in 2024.
0: Well, and speaking of people that have been front and center. The greatest non-presidential campaign maybe in history has been underway now for a while with our with our governor, Gavin Newsom, who has been touring the country uh, on what for all the world looks like a campaign tour. But, you know, he swears is not. How does all this affect Gavin Newsom? I mean, Carl, number one, do you believe him when he says he he has no interest? I think his words were sub zero interest in running for president, at least this time. And what do you make of everything going on with Gavin Newsom? And how does Biden's planned reelection campaign impact him?
1: Well, the sub zero comment doesn't square with going to these red states, uh, having opening this pack um, to go to red states with his wife and to say that, you know, if you live in Republican states, your government is trying to kill democracy and. Kill trans people and ban books and burn books, and he's got this sort of dystopia view of what's happening in these states. It's gone from look. He he tangled with Ron DeSantis. They clearly got in each other's skin in a way that could have been fun if they were happier warriors. You know, it could have, but there was no mirth to it. It was just all venom. And now G- Gavin Newsom is taking it to other states. Look, he's always had an interest in these issues, though. You know, people forget. He's the guy and mayor of San Francisco who, who marries people. He goes, he comes to Washington. He hears George W. Bush give a state of the union speech. It's a throwaway line in the speech, you know, uh, marriage between a man and a woman. I mean, Bush didn't care about that issue at all. And was trying to make it go away and said the minimum thing you could say, but Gavin's in the audience and he gets offended. He goes back and he starts marrying people. Now, this was before the Supreme court, before any of this stuff, the California Supreme court later said that he'd gotten out over his skis legally, but he's been a guy who's been on these social issues he is he's such a such a cool customer he reminds me temperamentally of obama people don't realize he's pretty passionate about this stuff so maybe he's just doing it because he believes in it and has no presidential ambitions but my own view is that if biden pulls out and this is just a guess suppose you know you got this new hampshire primary uh, let's say robert f kennedy junior who's a, a singularly bad candidate, but let's say he gets 35% of the vote or something. And Marianne Williamson gets five or, you know, and Biden ekes through against two nobodies. Now, well, Kenny's not a nobody. That's not quite the right word, but you, you take my point. Then the Democrats, was, well, maybe we're in trouble. I think at that point, Gavin Newsom would like to be able to jumpstart a campaign. The problem is they front loaded all these primaries. It's hard to get in the ballot. It's hard to do, you know, what what RFK's father did in 1968. I'm not sure you can do it at all, but it seems to me that Gavin Newsom is positioning himself so that if there's something happens with Biden that he can get in. That's what it seems to me.
2: Sure. And yeah, I mean, that little doubt, but at the same time, he's got his work cut out for him in California. He can't run. He would have a tough time running with the images of tense cities uh, throughout California. He's got to do something about homelessness. He's got time to do something about homelessness, and he's clearly focused on it. This is a big issue for him. Homelessness and, and the care of, of severely mentally ill people who are living on the streets. These are his top two issues in California. If he can make progress, then he becomes a more attractive candidate in 2028, 20, I think. And I, I have little doubt, but he has a uh, you know, great interest in running for president, but probably not in 24.
1: Dan, can I ask you a question about that? Uh, Hugh Hewitt had a podcast, a radio. He wrote a column recently, last 24 hours. And it it did what you said. It's got these pictures of tents in San Francisco and says this would haunt Gavin Newsom. I'm curious about that because the state of California, our shared home state has spent billions of dollars trying to address this problem. LA County itself has spent billions of dollars. It is an intractable social problem. There's no obvious and magic bullet to it. Do voters really, they're really going to blame one guy? Are they can blame the governor of the state for this problem that that is cropping up in every major city in, in the country, every Sunbelt suburb. You know, everybody's dealing with this. It is a national crisis and a national problem. But is really, are the Republicans be able to say that because California's problem is so bad that their governor is to blame? I, I wonder about that. And I'm asking you what do well, you think.
2: I don't know. I I think the ads kind of write themselves. He he got a little taste of it, not much, because there was no campaign last year against him, or you know, very little campaign against him. But you know the the images of camp fentanyl and that, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. It's it's not a pretty picture. He has to have success, or he has to be caught trying, and he is trying. I mean, without a doubt, we. Devoted a podcast to this a couple of weeks ago this is uh, this is front and center and if he can make progress well well that's a big deal and it's a big it would be a big deal that would translate to voters in in states around the country I it, think he's trying is a to set the standard is what I'm saying
0: it is a national problem Carl. I mean I agree with you I mean if you travel around anywhere I mean if you've been to Portland or Seattle or Chicago or you know d c Florida you know, Florida, any any major city, a lot of smaller cities now. It is an intractable problem. It feels like, and we have thrown a lot of money at it, and it does affect him. And it the other thing that seems to affect him with this thing out of you know going out of state is now he also is getting criticized for how about you come back and govern your state, right? And whatever that may be worth, it is another one of those things he can get beat up over. Yeah. Well, and speaking of getting beaten up, now, the last time you were here, we were weighing in on the possibilities of whether Kevin McCarthy was ever going to be Speaker of the House. (laughs) At that point, they were on, like, vote number 10, 12, 20. I don't even remember what number of votes it was on. He eventually did hang in there because, you know, there was nothing on planet Earth that Kevin McCarthy apparently wanted more, no matter what he had to pay for it, than being Speaker of the House. So, Okay. Oh, come
1: on, Rich. He's not the only
0: ambitious guy in politics. (laughs) He was certainly (laughs) the most ambitious one at that time (laughs) to everything he did. Uh, But hey, he's there. And, uh, you know, he seems, uh, you know, to have got, you know, some of the clowns back in the car there. Um, But man, that's a hard, hard job. He's got a he's got a caucus there that is really...
1: Yeah, there's, always some, there's his side. I, I agree with that. There's something he has going for him, though. And this just has become apparent in the last 10 days to me. We did again, we did a poll on this. He's got an advantage that uh, Paul Ryan never had. John Boehner never had. And that is when President Obama faced this debt ceiling, same thing. And the public was like two thirds on his side. They didn't understand what the Republicans were talking about. That is not the case now. And if you... And even among independent voters, like majorities of them do not that you ask them straight up, should we raise the debt ceiling? They'll just say no. And it's a I mean, that polling might change if the United States defaulted, you know, but McCarthy's got he's got an advantage that his predecessor didn't have in negotiating with the White House. And Biden keeps saying he's not to negotiate, but he certainly is willing to. He He actually likes doing it. So uh, McCarthy's in a funny position because the polling has changed on this. Americans have this impression coming out of COVID that the government's spending too much money and that it's not paying attention to the debt. And that you know the reason they're paying you know, inflation, people say it's five percent. Well, when you know when eggs go from you know two ninety nine a carton to five ninety nine a carton, that's not five percent inflation. Those numbers seem worse to middle class voters than than the macro numbers. And I think McCarthy's got a wind at his sail in dealing with this. If, if he can get through this period, and I don't know what's going to happen in the next months, but get the White House to cooperate with him, get keep the crazies on his side at bay, he's going to surprise the people who predicted that he would have no, you know, who predicted he'd be very, he had the short leash and would, wouldn't be able to do anything as speaker. So I just throw that out there. The
2: yeah, well, you, you know, ha- Knowing um, Speaker McCarthy a little bit from his days in Sacramento, you know, again, not unlike Kamala Harris, the guy has moves, you know, he's not a dummy, you know, he's not very well spoken, but you don't get there by just by being dumb.
1: Right?
2: <laughs> I mean, the anyway, so I think people will underestimate Kevin McCarthy at their peril, as they will under- underestimate Kamala Harris at their peril.
1: Why does that happen to these Californians? Reagan came here, and Tip o- Reagan of all people, Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill says to him, "Well, you're you're in the big leagues now, Mr. President." What yeah. does he? What did he think Sacramento was? I mean, yeah. well, yeah. I, I, I wanted to tell him, "Hey, Dimaggio played in the Pacific Coast League, pal." He, he, there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go.
2: There you go. Well, well nice. uh, you know, you mentioned Phil Burton at the outset. You know, there weren't too many politicians who were better than Phil Burton. Or for that matter, his brother John. Right. And. Uh, or Nancy uh, Pelosi. Yeah, and and Nancy Pelosi has certainly made
1: her mark. Um, well, Pelosi, Pelosi, isn't she interesting? People forget this. She's the, she's basically the daughter or the scion or whatever you want to call it, the inheritor of two uh, formidable family political legacies in the Democratic Party, from Baltimore and San Francisco. She's kind of she's one of a kind. So yeah, pe- why people underestimated her, I never could imagine.
0: Yeah. People people think all kinds of things about us Californians, but you know, <laughs> well, you know the the last thing I wanted to ask you, Carl, in terms of McCarthy is then you know what does Biden's announcement and possible reelection mean for him? I mean, I you know you you laid out some things that are you know maybe beneficial to him, but does uh, does a Biden campaign help him
1: get more wind in those sails? Well, that's interesting, Rich. I was thinking about McCarthy in slightly a different way vis-a-vis Biden, and that's this since i i mentioned tip o'neill reagan certainly repaid tip o'neill for that crack with interest because the republicans made him this buffoonish character in these ads sort of it wasn't really tip in the ads it was this actor who looked like him who represented you know fat cat old line you know new deal excess um so the speakers of the house have been have been demonized really and by the opposition party whoever they were it's harder to do with some than others but that's not doesn't seem to be as yet where the Democrats are going. They they've got their bogeyman in Trump. And if it's DeSantis, DeSantis and, and you know, Gavin Newsom's going after DeSantis. They don't need to meet, make Kevin McCarthy into a caricature. Um, and I my guess is, is that you're going to have a campaign more like an old fashioned campaign where the Speaker of the House is not going to be front and center. But that's good for McCarthy, because the only way the Speaker of the House gets talked about these days is to be attacked in negative ads. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, A- Adam Schiff out here and running for um, Senator Feinstein's seat is, is in fact, you know, he's running against Kevin McCarthy. He's basically mm-hmm. saying, make make me Senator McCarthy's, or make me uh, Kevin McCarthy's senator. <laughs> I'm not sure that, that it, you know, it has resonance perhaps in California, perhaps among some, some of Schiff's uh, Perceived base. Uh, not sure that you're right. I mean, I'm not sure it translates much out of, outside California.
0: Well, Dan, though, you you has <clears throat> a nice segue to the next thing I wanted to bring up, which is, of course, the you know the race to replace Diane Feinstein. There's been a lot of pressure coming from some quarters that maybe she should step down now because she's not been able to be there for the votes on judicial nominations, et cetera. She does not seem inclined to do that, and she actually has got a lot of support from some powerful people that she, you know, should be allowed to, you know, continue on as is. And what possible impact does all this maybe have on that race? Schiff seems to be winning the money race right now over Porter and Barbara Lee. Uh, But does Biden's, uh, his plan for reelection, does that have any impact on any of this that you can see, Dan?
2: No, well, I, I, I'm not seeing it. I mean, the national parties aren't going to play in California. It costs way too much money. So Schiff, Porter, and Barbara Lee are going to have to uh, fund their own campaigns, I think. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, there's no Republican who has emerged. I can't imagine uh, Mitch McConnell is going to want to play in California. Um, it's too expensive, and it's way too much of a long shot, unless there is some really wealthy Republican uh, or conceivably independent, can't imagine that. Particularly, uh, I think it's it's going to be a top two race between one of the three: Schiff, Porter, Lee. Uh, you know, I can't Dan, imagine how Dan, Biden's going to weigh in, right?
1: No, but he had that. Why not's... Harris? Could yeah, that's right. I was going to say, you know, at some point they may. The, the Republicans squeezed them on the Judiciary Committee, which was sort of a singularly uncollegial thing to do. But that's the way that's the way we do business down in Washington. Gavin Newsom has said he would appoint a black woman to the seat. Right. So that, the, the list grows pretty quickly gets, you know, Barbara Lee, uh, who's running for the seat. Karen Bass, London Breed. I mean, you start to think you're talking about you know, three or four or yeah. five people, right?
2: Um, you know, there's Holly Mitchell and Shirley Weber. But, uh, you know, no, but I, if.
1: But if the if the White House gets in it, the White House would get in it because they'd want they want that seat filled and they'd want it filled now. And before, you know, your November's a ways off. You, know, you get, you know, 30 or 40 federal judges through, through the process in that time. And they may get impatient. They're impatient with Feinstein already. They may get impatient with Pelosi said, let the let the process play out. But I think it's I think the way it would work, I would think, is if the White House wanted to get involved, they pressure Feinstein and then gavin will get to a point my question is would that change the race if barbara lee was an incumbent then maybe she goes from third to second in the polls or even first that's the that's from the washington perspective we wonder if newsom filled that seat would it change the dynamics of the campaign
2: well i do think that at this point he would really try to pl- find a placeholder and my my view is that although he has said very clearly that he would appoint a black woman given that the race is now underway and uh, Barbara Lee is black and a woman that uh, he may try to figure out a way out of that should Feinstein retire uh, before her term is up. And, you know, I mean, there are other people he could appoint, not the least of which is Nancy Pelosi.
1: (laughs) Well, she's not black, but she's a woman. And they'd get there'd be very few people criticize that appointment. Yeah. If uh, Fetterman was in better health, Gavin could appoint Condoleezza Rice. They have one vote to play with on the Democratic side. Um, and he could point out that Pete Wilson should have picked her instead of John Seymour years ago. It's the kind of tro- trolling Seymour. that- I, I seem to remember that name. Poor guy, it's the kind of trolling Gavin Newsom specializes in, but it's probably too high stakes since she is a Republican. Can I
2: cannot imagine Condoleezza <laughs> Rice would be Gavin on Gavin Newsom's short list.
1: No. She'd be on my short list.
0: <laughs> well, let, me, yeah. let me ask one more question before we leave this. There has been whispers at various times about Kamala Harris and Kevin McCarthy, both possibly being gubernatorial candidates here in California. I know a lot of stuff would have to shake out a certain way for something like that to happen. Now we already have two new candidates in uh, that have already announced uh, this this week, Betty Yee and, and Eleni Kanolakis. Any scenario you can see where either Kamala or Kevin takes a look at that 2026 open governorship in California and says, you know, and I ask because we all know Pete Wilson was the one I remember saying, it's a lot more fun to be governor than it is to be in the
1: Senate. Uh, I'll let Dan, I'll let Dan take the Kamala Harris thing and I'll just be very brief on McCarthy. It's hard for a Republican of any kind to get elected statewide in California. McCarthy knows that better than anyone else. He's speaker of the house, but he isn't, he isn't the Dean of the California delegation. I think he's got the job he wants and he would think that the governorship would be such an uphill fight as electorally that I think he'd prefer to stay in a safe seat.
2: Yeah. And you know, Kamala Harris did uh, contemplate running for governor. She, she had set up a Kamala Harris for governor campaign committee when she was attorney general. She, she chose to run for Barbara Boxer's Senate seat. Uh, now she's, she's, she's not coming back to California, certainly not in um 2026 can't imagine, but you know there are you know I suppose Javier Becerra is a possibility although I actually think he blew it by uh, stepping down as attorney general so I don't think that that he's um, uh, uh, I don't think he's got much of a shot as attorney general though he would have had a shot as health and human services secretary I think it'll be tough you know Rob Bont is going to run I I would guess. Eleni Kalilakis is has to have a leg up because she is lieutenant governor and has a lot of money. Uh, Betty Yee is formidable, very smart person. Uh, Fiona Ma, I know, had said that she wanted to run for governor. You know, there's going to be no shortage. Uh, Tony Atkins is another one. So there there are people out there. There's not an heir apparent like there was when gavin Newsom ran and i i should also say antonio viragosa is not too old to run again for governor so uh-huh. it, it's going to be a really interesting 2026 it's going to be very a fascinating race
0: yes this we're gonna maybe make some california history this time you know that's the thing in a way i feel sorry for rob bonta because as you notice it is the is the obvious thing when you're attorney general i mean we've seen that a lot in the state but you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of sentiment toward a, a finally electing a female governor in California, and, and there's going to be some really tough candidates in the race, and so uh, that natural pathway may not be quite as smooth for him as it has been for some other AGs in our history, for sure.
2: We're a Latino, hence Ragosa.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, Carl, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, always the insights from D.C. Are you, you have interest in sticking around and talking a little more California politics as we go over who might have had the worst week in California's uh, political landscape?
1: I've got one. I've, I know one thing about that. I got one nomination and uh, you guys know a lot more about it. But if you want to hear my worst week. OK. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Worst week.
0: Okay, we're back. It's time to talk about who had the worst week in California politics. Carl, you led us right to the promised land. Please continue, sir.
1: Uh, Well, the worst week was Oakland A's fans. After, you know, through two different managements over, you know, 25 years have done everything they could to alienate that fan base. And it didn't really work, but now they're going to take the team to Las Vegas. So that's who had the worst week in California politics to me because the uh, Oakland and Alameda County couldn't get its act together, and it had ample time.
0: Well, you know, I'm going to weigh in a little bit differently on that. I agree with you, and uh, full disclosure, I am a lifetime rabid, bleeding green and gold Oakland A's fan since I was eight years old, and I'm a very old guy now. So (laughs) I will just say, you know, if you really want to blame municipal leaders in Oakland, I think you have to go all the way back to the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Commission and everything that was going on in 1995 because the Oakland Coliseum used to be a really good place to watch a baseball game. You had a beautiful view of the Oakland Hills. It was much warmer than Candlestick Park, though uh, at night it was not a warm place, but it was warmer than Candlestick. It was, it was a great place, uh, not like these modern cathedrals that are you know what they are, but it was a good place to see a baseball game. And honestly, the city made a horrible deal with the Raiders to come back in 1995. They built that giant wall of of, uh, luxury boxes, which we now derisively, of course, call Mount Davis. Uh, It was a bad deal then, $200 million in bonds, which they counted on selling personal seat licenses as a way to pay for them. Well, that was understandable at the time because that was a big deal at the time, but I think we all know those. That's not really a thing much anymore, and it really fell apart for them. And so, three hundred and fifty million dollars was what it ended up costing. And of course, uh, it is now twenty twenty three, and those uh, those bonds won't be paid off for two more years. The Raiders will have been gone for five years by the time those bonds are paid off. Which Libby Schaff inherited that. Shang Tao has inherited that. You know the Howard Terminal site. They got. They did everything they were supposed to do. They 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 said three hundred and fifty million dollars. Well, they managed to get about three hundred and seventy five million dollars in federal grants plus uh, more. That's probably coming. I think if you can blame them for anything, and is that they? I think they trusted the current Oakland ownership a little too much to be legit. And if there's anything we've seen of late with a lot of the reporting coming out, there was never any reason to believe that 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 they were actually playing straight up. Again. Full disclosure on my bias here as a, as a fan, Dan, can you, can you bring me back to the center here in any way?
2: Well, I'm a Giants fan, but you know, (laughs) uh, but uh, you know, I, have seen my, my share of games uh, at the Coliseum and uh, it's still a nice place to see a game. uh, But, you you know, I think major league baseball, it's a, it's only business and, and, you know, I think they want a team in Vegas. I think that, that Vegas is a, is a is a lucrative market. And now that Major League Baseball, like all the other sports, have gotten into gambling, it makes it even more attractive. So, yeah, it's a, it's strictly
0: business. Well, I will, really I will city. say one other thing here. So, as we know, the Nevada legislature is a majority female and has been since 2019. Now, please don't send me your cards and letters. I'm not trying to be all patriarchal here, but I'm just saying, you know, the A's. There's, there's not a bill. The A's have had 18 lobbyists working on this this year. There's still not a bill of any kind. There's no stadium rendering. There's no plan. There's nothing for them to actually vote on. And now we're down to about five weeks left in the legislative session, and we all, we all know these things can. And likely will come together very quickly, but at the moment there's absolutely nothing for them even to consider other than the A's Say, "Well, we need 500 million dollars." for what? There is nothing for them to even look at and say, "Well, here is what this plan would cost because there is no plan, and there never has been a plan.
1: You know, so rich not- you're, st- you're still hoping they stay. I can I, you really are a fan. Well, you know, <laughs> look,
0: I am not a fan of the current ownership. They they are as about as despicable as it can possibly be, can be, right? That said, yes, I mean, as a fan, I want them to stay. They are the formative team, even more than the Raiders were for me as a young person uh, and as a baseball person. But look, I get it. Major League Baseball wants to, as Dan's right, they want to put a team in Vegas and it's either going to be the A's or it's going to be an expansion team. But somebody's going to go to Vegas because there's going to be way too much, even though it's the 40th largest market in the country, as opposed to the sixth largest, which is where the A's are at right now. I think the Giants would like to get rid of them, though I think you ought to be careful what you wish for if you're a Giants fan, because with no competition, I would not be surprised to see... Already astronomical prices at at (laughs) a giant stadium go even higher. But all that being said, I just think I, I, I noted the whole female majority. There's this part of me that says, I doubt they are as enraptured of sport as the way so many of us guys are to where they would be willing to take money that could go to education and a variety of other things and give it to a guy who's already the eighth richest man in baseball, no matter how much he cries for
2: where. Nevada's Nevada has been perfectly willing to, to spend other people's money to subsidize wealthy people, uh, hence the uh, gigafactory, the Elon Musk gigafactory outside of Reno. And, you know, if it can come together very quickly. They've got a parcel of land. You know, I commend people to read the Nevada Independent uh, stories on this. They're doing a great job of covering it from uh, the Nevada side of the border.
1: Yeah. Right, look, America. we've talked about the baseball, the politics and economics of baseball. But let me leave you with one poetic thought here. When I was a kid, the A's moved out from Kansas City to Oakland and the Oakland Coliseum was new. And the outfield then, you know how hitters like a green background. You had the green wall and center field. And then the right center and left center was this ice plant, beautiful, brand new ice plant. And one time in this young star, they had Reggie Jackson, thin, muscular, handsome hit a prodigious home run and it landed in the ice plant and that white brand new white baseball was stuck there about 395 feet up the and the pitcher and and nobody would move the ball the a's wouldn't touch it and the pitchers would walk out and every inning they'd stare up at this ball jackson never got another pitch to hit the whole game and i was hooked on reggie jackson from that on
2: <laughs> and he was something wasn't he
0: he yeah. was something. Oh, uh, they all were. Well, you know, I, I grew up a devout fan of Joe Rudy. I still have a uh, signed <laughs> postcard. The A's, the 49ers, the Raiders, uh, the Warriors, they would come on occasion to Sacramento uh, when I was a kid and they would play these charity basketball games. And, and you know, my hero, my idol, Joe Rudy, signed a, a, ba- a baseball <laughs> postcard to me of his likeness, of course which I still have in, in a closet <laughs> over here behind me in my office, that it's been carted with me to Washington, to Los <laughs> Angeles, to all my other point, ports of call around uh, around America over these last 50 years. And so uh, that's all I can say, man. They may leave for Vegas, but uh, my heart will always- But your heart is breaking. <laughs> What's that, Dan?
2: Your heart is breaking.
0: Uh, they are, they're killing me, man. They are, they're killing me. I don't <laughs> know what else to say. Other than on that happy note, um, I'm sorry to the city of Oakland, and I'm sorry to Oakland fans. You definitely, we're all continuing to have the worst week in California politics, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on uh, today to talk about some national and state politics and how they all fit together here in California. People may love us, people may hate us, but by God, we are never boring, right? There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I'm Tom this-
2: Rich. Thanks yes. so much.
0: Oh yes, well, thanks, Dan. You know, by, by the way, you're a great pinch hitter. We're going to stay with the baseball analogies here. You're a great pinch hitter. You're 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 going to be our designated hitter anytime anytime Tim's not available. You're you're going to be my first call, okay? Well, there you go, there you go. Earl, yeah. you'll be our utility guy, our voice from from DC, okay? <laughs> All right. I'm I'm getting commitments on the air right now, so no
2: <laughs> I'm happy
0: to do it, Rich. Any <laughs> any <anytime>. All right. <laughs> For all of us here, for Carl Cannon of uh, Real Claire Politics and uh, Dan Moraine of just about everywhere that's good in journalism, and then me, uh, Rich Eisen, the editor of Capital (laughs) Weekly. Thanks much. We will see you next time on the Capital Weekly Podcast.
1: The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.
0: The Capital Weekly Podcast
1: is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.